Welcome to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we compare Mormon, Mormon and creedal Christian thought. Let's see if I can talk today. Today, we are here with my brother. Hello. Finally, we have him on. So the Hamilton boys coming at you. But we're going to start here with, I mean, is there a Christian in the world that this isn't one of their favorite quotes from church history? I'm just only, only if they haven't heard of it or heard it. That's the only reason I can think of. Oh, it's so great. Augustine's Confessions, just the very first paragraph. You are great, Lord, and highly to be praised. Great is your power, and your wisdom is immeasurable. Man, a little piece of your creation, desires to praise you. A human being bearing his mortality with him, carrying with him the witness of his sin and the witness that you resist the proud. Nevertheless, to praise you is the desire of man, a little piece of your creation. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Amen. So good. It's amazing. It's so good. All right. So we're going to tell, well, I should say, we're going to document your story. And though the listeners have heard little bits and pieces of mine here and there, our stories are parallel, but they're not the same. Yeah. And so we're going to tell the story and then at certain points, land and discuss doctrine because I, th- <laughs> I get the sense that some some of the Christians out there think maybe I'm an anomaly and oh. I think <laughs> yeah, partly this will help show that no 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 there's a in fact we know of many people that are were into the doctrines we were even Still while mm-hmm, and even while in the LDS church mm-hmm. um, and so Colin Let's hear your story. Where would you like to start? Oh, uh, well, kind of like we talked about a little before, I didn't prepare the early stuff very well. Uh, there's stuff there, of course, but my head almost goes immediately to essentially late high school, yeah. 17, 18. And this is because when I re- it's when I really started to take it seriously, um, primarily because it's when I started getting pushed from just all directions to really solidify what I believed, uh, both from you, but, but not just from you, mm-hmm. uh, from friends and other family members. And there's a strong strain of, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it in our family, but it's sort of charismatic in yeah, a way, very but charismatic very Mormon flair folk, to it. Folk Mormonism, uh, which means it's really caught up in the new age. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you just kind of paint it the color Joseph Smith, and you know that's it, then it's okay. Then bring mm-hmm. it in. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it, it's funny because it sort of takes that Hinkley quote where it's like we don't want to take away from what you believe; we just want to add to it. Yeah, and sort of inverses it where you have the structure of what you believe based on Joseph Smith's revelations. And then you just take anything anyone else believes and you strip it down until it'll fit. Yeah, yep. Anything but Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> Yoga. I mean, it could be anything. Right. As long as it fits within the, you know, what the, the Mormon worldview. 
which is right. inherently antagonistic to the Christian worldview. Right. Well, and, and in our view, like we have the truest Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, the, the supposed Christian worldview is really just doctrines of men. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? From That's, later councils. And, right. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is a whole, like worldview is the best way to put it. And it's probably why, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here so we can come back to this, but it's probably why presuppositionalism later on was so eye-opening for me. Because I do think that without realizing it, a lot of Mormonism is very presuppositional Mm -hmm. uh, in the worst kinds of ways, though, (laughs) which is presuppose it's true and stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, none of the testing part of the (laughs) fantail model. Right. So we're, we're going to a bunch of different LDS churches. This is something, too, that I think at this point, as Christians, are it's advantageous to us looking back. Because, you know, a lot of people could say, well, maybe that was that ward or oh, that yeah. one bishop or that one year. But we're moving all the time, right? Yeah. And so we had tons of different LDS experiences, yeah. Yeah, the one that lasted the longest was uh, near Sharon Park. Mm-hmm. Here I, in Orem. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was, I was pretty young, so I don't even remember a lot of that. I remember mostly the moves, you know, both before and then after as well. And uh, the there was the ward over by Mountain View High School, which is also in Orem. That one I remember more because it's around the time you were starting to challenge me uh, in the way that I think most LDS end up challenging each other, which is you're taught milk is kind of mm-hmm. what they would call it. Now you need to learn meat. Now Christians listening might hear that and be like, well, yeah, there's a sense in which we have milk and meat, of course. But what they don't realize is that there's this Gnostic. And when we, when I say Gnostic, I mean, lowercase G, it's not like they're uh, appealing to all the formal rules of, yeah, we'll get to that Gnosticism. later. Yeah. <laughs> that that comes uh, later. <laughs> but but there is a sense in which you have this knowledge for the late like the lady, yeah, the, the masses, the, the children, mm-hmm. and then the deeper knowledge that can even contradict um, lower knowledge. And there's no problem with that at all. Uh, maybe there's ways in which you explain it, usually through word games, to try and convince yourself there's not that going on, but it really is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, well, the, it's, I, you know, the, I th- the only way I can think of describing this based on my experience is that you have to see the pragmatism as well, because in my mind, it would often be like, well, that milk teaching was useful to those people at that stage of progression. Yeah, it's sort but of the it, liberal yeah. your truth. Yes. But in a Mormon worldview, right? Right, like, where there is ultimate truth. truth. Right. Yeah. I mean, you may even notice this if, if you're doing apologetics for LDS. They'll be like, well, that's true for you. And yeah. they're not even liberal. Like, these yeah. are conservatives that will say that unironically. Yeah. Uh, well, well so it's self-described. Self-described yeah, Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> liberal Republicans, yeah. Right. But that, that really is... The way it'll work is like, well, that's true for you, and there really is more than one way, you know, to heaven in that sense. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not exclusive, mm-hmm. except unless you're wanting to use him for his power to achieve highest levels of glory. Right. Uh, the path mm-hmm. is exclusive-ish. 
right? Ish. But there's multiple ways to get onto it, right? right. And and so that's in you know you so you either say Jesus is one way or you find Jesus in all the myths ev- everywhere else, right? So well, like in Osiris or something like that. And hopefully this doesn't get to inside baseball because this is something where we we swam in it, we lived in it. Oh, lived lives. it, yeah. Years and it's then, hard looking back, right? Yeah. Well, then I spent the last few years just trying to forget, <laughs> and then I'm like, "Hey, I got to get an interview in." <laughs> but should we start with our dad? Yeah. So I believe it was you that found his patriarchal blessing. Yes. Um, have you mentioned patriarchal blessings much? A bit, a little bit. Uh, um, if you want to give some um, pre-understand, or sorry, some information to make it more clear, that's fine. Yeah, so there is a local priesthood role uh, within every boundary of a church district or whatever that is a patriarch. And they are to give uh, people who ask it, and they usually have to go through this formal process, getting permission from the bishop. And, you know, these formal processes will they'll tinker with over the years. So this may be different now, but essentially you get one um, that a blessing that is a revelation specifically given to you. And, and no one else. And this is the source of so many, uh, I don't, like folk tales, mm-hmm. if you will, amongst uh, LDS generally, just like, they'll be like, well, you know, my grandfather, they had this patriarchal blessing. It said this. So, you know, Christ's got to be coming soon. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I was told that I'm going to be this. So, you know, I'm just preparing for that. Uh, I, I think I was, it's funny. I, I destroyed a lot of my stuff and it was, it was, uh, cleansing. It was good for me at the time, but there are times where I know Skylar's just like, no, like we need that. I want uh, it in a museum. Yeah. I want it in a museum. (laughs) Uh, but mine had something about me even leading the church at some point. Now they always tried to put it in such a vague way that you could really fulfill it in multiple ways. Right. Mm -hmm. You, you know, I'm, uh, teaching a class in Sunday school when I'm older. And they'll be like, see, you were leading in, in this way, <laughs> right? That's true. Yeah. So there's always a way you could make it true. But it clearly was trying to imply more. And my family, I remember, took it very seriously for a while. And uh, I, I just really thought I was supposed to be a prophet because mm-hmm. of patriarchal blessing and among other things. And dad's, his... Uh, said that he helped guard Satan down to outer darkness. Yeah. Like, well, escort him out of heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, and what is it? The demons of his addiction um, were the demons who remembered him. Yes. As one of the guards or something like this. Yeah. And and that's bizarre because neither of us remember our, our father as an active LDS. Right. I remember him when I was very young at the primary age. Uh, I had this little talk I was supposed to read and I was so excited and proud and asked him to come and he was begrudgingly came. And I remember seeing him sitting in the doorway into the room. He listened to that. He heard me out. And then when I was done, he, he left right away. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, it's, it, you know, it's I, looking back to, I fully, I feel like your patriarchal blessing was used for me in the family more than mine was because it wasn't in like leaders in the church and in the world. Yes. Something like that. Yes. Wow. But yes, I think, um, 
and we did cover this, uh, so many patriarchal blessings early on were Jesus is coming in your lifetime, things like that. And I think it does show the managing of the cognitive dissonance of these people die off and their kids still remember it, but they just kind of shift it to their time. Or, yep. you know, I mean, free will, maybe just the variables changed. So it's it's a close approximation. Or <laughs> Yeah, and there was always that out, that if you didn't live uh, the laws of God well enough, that could be why your uh, patriarchal blessing did not come true. Yeah. So there is always sort of this this out yeah. with that kind of thing. Right. It's your your fault. Right. <laughs> so so one one thing we've had pushback on uh just a little bit um is you know, I've made MMP a pretty big deal this year. At at least yeah. on the side. I've never done an episode just on it. I think it would be good for the listeners to know it wasn't just me. Uh, do you have stories on it? I know your view yeah. was a little bit different than was mine and some of the groups we were in. Yeah. So I, you know, part of the the Gnostic journey, if you will, of Mormonism is trying to figure out for yourself how it all fits together. You know, there's these certain pieces that fit in every time uh, that sort of everyone's decided to agree is true. But then there's all these others and it's it's very much an eclectic form of truth where you just kind of pick and choose what's uh, a more important piece. And do you interpret this literally or that one spiritually? You just kind of choose. And it's just sort of a fun game you get to engage in. You know, it's the word of God, but, you know, you can just sort of play with it. Like, I, I, it's, uh, when I think about it too much, I just have to say, praise God for saving me because, you know, that's not okay. Uh, in any case, this is commonplace. And one of the things you do have to engage in when you are LDS is realizing that you have to become a God yourself eventually. So there's this idea that Jesus is sort of bridging the gap while you're in sin, that the fall is necessary because you need a body and you need a body because that's the only way you can experience exalted glory and but because of the body, you're more likely to sin. And there's kind of weird readings of Galatians that feed into that as well. But then you're sort of stuck with this body that has sin, right? This is sort of how I'm playing with the scriptures that I'm reading and just trying to figure out my own Mormon understanding of all this. And then you have Joseph Smith saying that, you know, gods have only done what they've seen other gods do. And Jesus is only doing what he's seen his father do. What does that mean? Well, that means that the father was a Jesus at one point, right? If, if the Jesus had to perform an atonement, then he only did what he saw his father do. So the father performed an atonement at some point. Okay, so there's multiple lives going on here. And Brigham Young is super explicit about this. And this may be one way in which we're different than some LDS who kind of shy away from Brigham Young, see him as somehow anti-Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I've heard, I've heard that. <laughs> see the irony. Uh, but of course there's a uh, large group of LDS who will just see the journal discourses and that kind of stuff is kind of the higher secret teachings that we just keep on with. And, you know, he clearly teaches Adam's body comes from a different earth. 
mm-hmm. and that Michael, so Michael is Adam is a DNC teaching. That's one that they still teach even now. But the idea that Michael is God, the father was unique to Brigham Young and did not last as a doctrine, but was clearly taught for a very long time. And so I, I, we can get into that more, but that did tie in because then there's this idea of, okay, it's becoming more clear. You need to live multiple lives. You need to do what the father did or what the son did and kind of copy, but you're stuck with this body of sin. And the big thing for me was seeing all of these passages that Paul refers to when he's referring to the old man and the new man and basically hyper-literalize it and say there is a old body that must be gotten rid of and you're going to get this new body, not in the Christian resurrection sense, but mm-hmm. in the, this is the newer model yeah. and it hasn't been damaged by sin. And so you're going to be more uh, resistant to sin with this new body and you're going to be able to sort of level up. You're going to, you know, upgrade your game and maybe learn a lot of things. This is kind of the gray area of speculation for, you know, most LDS is kind of what does that next world life look like until we go into another world? Like, do we live multiple, multiple lives? This was the view that, uh, you know, a lot of people, I did hear people say is that, well, we'll just keep living lives and improving but I wasn't sure because I was trying to still be like, well, they're supposed to be like these kingdoms after, and that's kind of supposed to be it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well, we get these 2.0 bodies. We learn a whole lot. And then maybe eventually we reach this point at which we can be a Jesus. And, you know, there's this mixed view of Jesus. Was he perfect before he did the atonement? Was he a God yet? Which is really doesn't mesh well with Emmanuel. The idea mm-hmm. that he has got with us. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it doesn't mesh with the Bible at all when you're reading it objectively. Right, right. In but its when, context. Yeah, but when you're reading it through this Gnostic lens of just change words to mean different things, and you you really have the secret key to what it all means, uh, then it, it's not too hard. Right. For example, the Nicodemus passage, right, where Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, you enter the womb again, and then Jesus says, have you been a teacher so long and don't know this? Yes. See how we could take this? I hope the listener just caught that. That's literally how we took it. We was like, oh, see, he's criticizing Nicodemus for saying, oh, wait, you don't get that? Right. You Yes. You yeah. have to be born again. <laughs> <laughs> again and again and again in eternal lives until you finally break out of the cycle of eternal lives and achieve yeah. eternal life. Right. So I, I may have tried to limit it to like two or three lives. Sure. But even I couldn't escape it entirely. You can't because you have to be a God. And what does it mean to become a God? Well, if Jesus did it by performing the atonement, by doing what he saw his father do, then, then we're going to have to at one point. And so that, I mean, this is, it's, People put it together in different ways, but this is super common, and every LDS person wrestles with it. Do you have any stories with seminary teachers that might be relevant on this? Oh, yes. Good call here. Mm -hmm. So in high school, I had a seminary teacher who first day, and I was so excited to have this teacher because I was more interested in, in, I didn't, like, I like the feel-good stuff, but I thought it was overplayed. So there's sort of this... uh, arrogance that comes as well when you have the secret teachings that the lessons that just sort of only make you feel good are lesser right like I'm not interested in the milk anymore I've moved beyond that and so 
I, they're most seminary teachers. It's just the feel good every lesson. Yeah, it was, you know, just uh, super exhausting. basic, make you feel good, and it was just, uh, yeah, Ugh. yeah, really didn't like <laughs> it. Not at all. But this teacher was known for being a little more. Uh, I can't think. What of the doctrine word. oriented? Yeah, more doctrine oriented and just more rigorous. That's the word I was looking for. And so, first day of the class, he's got all these slides talking about how. We are polytheists. So this is one of the few seminary teachers that they didn't try it. and do the word games here. You just own it. We, so, and there are LDS that'll do that. It's mm-hmm. funny how it's mixed. Some are like, well, we're monotheists. We only, you, and we only we, worship we, the we, father. Only one God, you know, it's like, so you don't worship Jesus. Oh, it, well, we're Christian. I guess we were. <laughs> it's like, no, no, like you got to own this. It's not henotheism either. Yeah, so I, you end up in different camps, but... The, in terms of the terminology, right? Yeah. But the doctrine is polytheistic. Yes. And it's refreshing, actually, when someone admits it. Yes. So here's this teacher, finally, just being forthright in the language. Yes. And you're attracted to it. Yeah, absolutely. We're polytheists. Uh, he's pulling up these quotes and says, he wasn't sure there was more than one Jesus. So he said, I think there's one, only one Jesus, but Brigham Young t- clearly taught there were multiple Satans. <laughs> So I think there's, there is a different Satan for every world. And so you can see how, once again, they're, just, they're trying to wrestle with this idea of we come across knowledge and this life is too short to become God. And so, you know, like I said, people put it together in different ways, but it always ends up being multiple mortal probation, Some even if they don't call it that. Right. And I, I remember the view that drove me kind of crazy was when people would imagine they were reincarnated people from the past and stuff like that, like within this, you know, within recent history even. And that was not my view at all. So like what the, what we see with Chad and Lori Debo or whatever, that's, that wasn't my MMP view either. But what does bug me is when it's treated like it's so crazy as if the, you know, Jesus was crucified for polygamy or something wasn't, you know, any, any more crazy, you know? So, so how, in your experience, were biblical passages such as like First Samuel, how did they play into your story here? Yeah, so part of this came in more so when I started coming around to Michael God. So there was a long time where I was trying to put it all together without that. Uh, when you're seeing even someone like Kimball more recently call the Adam God theory, theory yep. you know, heresy, or... Uh, McConkie at the time, who wasn't as... Yeah, one of the seven deadly heresies. He wasn't as hated at the time. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't thrown under the bus quite yet. Yeah, right, right. And so he was still seen as pretty well authoritative. Mm -hmm. And he has his seven deadly heresies. And so to me, to acknowledge that Brigham Young taught this was to admit contradiction. And so I was very much against it for a while. I remember us getting in several... Yelling matches. Oh, absolutely. And I hope you don't feel you need to shy away in this podcast for this. I absolutely, I look back with, honestly, terror. It, it was spiritual abuse. That's what it was. But I mean, I was trying to confront you in my mind at the time. I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's, I'm helping. But I look back and just think, man, what a monster I was. But I was saying, here's these real quotes. You know, don't you yeah. believe in the The system incentivizes it. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, you were trying to confront me with truth as you saw it, and it was true that he taught it. And so, yeah, in fact, when you handed me that giant stack of papers, it's like <laughs> 400 quotes. I'm not exaggerating. 400 quotes yeah. of 
of Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and, and it just goes on and on and on of all these people that taught Michael God or Adam God. It gets really hard to dismiss. However, keep in mind in the Mormon worldview, no written thing is ultimately going to define whether something is true to the Mormon. No, the experience is going to. So I, I decided I really need to pray about this more until I receive some kind of revelation that this is true or false. Uh, it's too serious to let go. And so I am just going to demand that God give me an answer. Uh, you know, DNC encourages this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing what he says, he's bound. Yeah. And uh, I know that sounds terrible. It is terrible, but it's what I believed. Yep. And so, I mean, I spent weeks um, fasting on and off and praying for hours trying to get an answer. And, and I will say uh, I had a supernatural experience. I, I believe it was supernatural. It was this uh, heat wave warmth that went up and down my body for days. And I thought, yes, I got my answer. Right. Keep in mind, Mormons aren't taught to test the spirits. Anything that feels good, like especially if it's supernatural that feels good, is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll take Galatians uh, fruits five, of the spirit, yeah. or is that six? Yeah, they'll take the fruits of the spirit and really, uh, once again, they just choose when to over literalize and when to uh, hyper spiritualize, and and so when you're feeling. All those things on top of like what it truly was, I believe, a supernatural, demonic now is what I would say, uh, power that was affecting me. I thought, okay, this is it. It's true. And I, I was all in. And I to, to complete that, then you're showing me even more quotes than what I had. <laughs> you're, you're going through Wilfred Woodruff's journal. Wilfred Woodruff, for the listener, fourth president of the LDS Church, and it's everywhere, right? I mean, can can you avoid it in Wilfred Woodruff? I mean, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's just it's everywhere. I mean, it is incredible. I, I, like, I'm sure there's some tailored version of it that they very carefully avoided every single example, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. Just one example, right? Our father begat all the spirits that were made before any tabernacle was made. When our father came into the garden, he came with a celestial body and brought one of his wives with him, ate of the fruit of the garden until he begat a tabernacle. And Adam is Michael or God. And all the God we have anything to do with, the God and father of Jesus Christ was Adam. Yeah. Wilford Woodruff's channel. (laughs) Can't get too much more obvious than that. Which, by the way, I do want to complete this because I I just remembered your question was, you know, what... Uh, passages such as First Samuel, how were they effective? And, and this is where it was. The, my point was, when you reach this point of deeper doctrines, and you're kind of sitting there like, why isn't this taught anymore? In fact, why are they kind of denying it or shying away from it? What is very popular and common is to use First Samuel and say, well, remember how the people kept asking for a king? And God was like, well, I'm their king. So, you know, they're not supposed to have a king. And the prophet Samuel's getting very upset. And then finally he's like, look, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so what you need to do is just give them their king. And so we use this concept of deeper doctrines are taken away when the people reject them. It doesn't mean the church has fallen. They haven't rejected the church, right? They haven't rejected the prophet, but they have rejected these deeper doctrines that are 
closer to God. And so if you can discover these deeper doctrines, uh, you are participating in a, a closerness to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, the conversion experience, that's one of the hardest things to look back on for me. Would you say that's true of you? I mean, it, I, I remember with Michael God having a similar you know, I, I don't know how many days or weeks, but it was it was close to a month of you just feel spiritually on fire. Yep. And you just, <laughs> I honestly I have no idea how to process what that was. I mean, in its mechanics. Right. But I, I, I remember first confronting it and just recognizing, wow, you know, and you just think, okay, the, the apostasy narrative of, that we apply to Christianity, you know, we're not immune here and just think, okay, at what point is, where's that line of apostasy so far that it's no longer valid or true authoritative Mormonism at this point. Right. And, and that is even a debate, right? The debate is, can this last instance of the church fall? And there's lots of quotes saying that it can't. And so some people will use those. And there's lots of quotes saying that it, it can't. Can. And like some John people Taylor. will use that. <laughs> that we weaponize them at each other, right? Right. Once again, you just pick and choose. There's nothing systematic going on here in terms of saying, okay, this is, this is our word of God here. And so we're going to apply all of that and figure out how it all works together. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's, that's a Christian way of determining truth is saying, all right, we have the objective word of God here, and now we're going to use systematic theology to figure out how we can understand all of it as a whole, as a glorious mm-hmm. whole. And it's only possible because the Bible really is the word of God. You can't do that with a man-made religion like, like this one, like the LDS Church. You have so many contradicting presidents of the church and apostles and scriptures. The scriptures don't even agree with each other once you add in. The Book of Mormon and DNC don't even agree with each other. Mm-hmm. Do you have so, to create a hierarchy? Yeah, you create a hierarchy of your own choosing. Mm-hmm. You are the master of that decision in the end of what doctrines you're going to hold on to, what scriptures are going to be meaningful and and all the rest. So it, they can disagree with each other. That it doesn't like they they just ignore it. Yep. It's I amazing. just ignored it. And this this not only affects what we think and discuss, you know, typically, you know, Sunday night or Wednesday night at someone's house. Um but when I, I, I remember one time you came to me so proud with a talk you were about to give in sacrament meeting. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. This, this actually happened. I, <laughs> this is incredible, <laughs> incredible story. So this was uh, a talk that every kid will give before he's going to leave for his LDS mission. And I say kid because they're 18, 19 years old. They're kids. And they're meant to go out and teach the world. And of course, I'm high on my, uh, you know, secret teachings and my higher knowledge and thinking, well, I really am going to go out there and change the world. You know, I'm going to be like Wilfred Woodruff and have 4,000 baptisms in a week or a night, whatever it was. And so in this talk, you know, this is something that you, you imitate what the LDS leaders do. They still try and sneak in secret teachings. Oh, yeah. Um, they'll hint at it though, and and frankly, I think more and more they're just more corporate, and so it's yeah. It's, I, I don't know. Some of them I don't think care. Some of them seem to. Yeah, like you'll be perfect 
eventually. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, if you have the Gnostic key, you know, you can kind of see what he's saying. Yeah, you just put in the right things. and So you can kind of pride yourself on when you can sneak in the, the deeper doctrines. Yep. And only those who are in recognize it. it's sort of the shibboleth. It is, and then and then you feel like you're part you're part of the in. Like you, you'll some of us will never meet a Jeffrey Holland, right? But once you see the secret key to his Trinity talk, right, then you feel right. like you're in on the secret, and yeah. that you feel this kinship, or with a Benson or whoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, my one of my favorites was with So, you know, and just like oh, I see what you're doing there, you right. know, it's yeah. So then you try to do this yourself. Right. <laughs> all right. So the, what I did with my talk is, first of all, as just a little bit of background for the Christian, you have to understand how the LDS abused Daniel 7, mm-hmm. which is that the one on the throne, the one who any Jewish scholar will tell you is God, they say is Adam. Even now, that's what DNC teaches, and they think that. They just think that Jewish scholars are wrong, whereas Brigham Young would have been like, yeah, they're right, Adam is God. But either way you <laughs> slice it, right, they believe and still teach that that is Adam and that the, the Son of Man who comes is Jesus giving all of the keys. Which way? Do the keys, well, so that's... Right, there you go, MMP. We, I mean, sorry, sorry, we, Michael God. Yeah, sense. we use the ambiguity yeah. there. Once again, we just choose. I mean, it's pretty clear that the keys are being given to the son of man, but we just reverse it. We're like, we use the ambiguity of KJV or whatever. And we're like, no, see, really he's giving it just to Adam because Adam is God. And so I was able to sort of say it in such a way with the hymns and the his, where in my talk, I said, Adam is God <laughs> uh, and no one caught it, but the three people who already believed it, who already believed it. And of course I got the letters from that. Like people love this. When mm-hmm. it happens. So I would get letters that like, oh, you know, I'm so glad you taught this. And had one girl who was like, you were shining white. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could see you were glowing as you t- spoke. And I mean, this stuff is, is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like we said at the beginning, we moved to many different wards. It didn't change with the ward. Not really. Maybe the amount of people who were interested, uh, but not so that there were none. There's a few people in every ward that are into the stuff that's supposedly just speculative really quickly. Can we fit in the story that I forgot to mention? You're on your mission in Mexico city uh-huh. and you hear someone come up and ask your companion who is your trainer, right? Will you tell this story just so we have it on the record? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, keep in mind, my Spanish is not very good at this point. I'm in Mexico city but I have enough that I'm, I'm starting to like, you know, I, I'm catching about half of what people are saying. And we're walking down the street and there's this guy just yelling at us. He's, I mean, he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. And my companion's just like, ah, eh, you know, he's just kind of shrugging him off. And I, I realize, I'm like, oh, he's, he's saying that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. And my companion is saying, no, he wasn't. Of course he was. Everyone knows he was. So I asked my companion, I was like, is he asking if Joseph Smith was a polygamist? He said, yeah. I was like, he is. He's like, I know, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) They don't need to know that. And this companion was very successful, right? Oh, yeah. So he was uh, really well known because he had done 
he was he had been on his mission a little over a year and he had over 400 baptisms and yet he he feels comfortable straight up lying on the street about whether Joseph Smith was a polygamist right because he's not ready for that truth there you go right I want that, the listener to hear that yeah and, and this was I it upset me primarily because I I thought the best way to bring back the deeper doctrine was just to start teaching it again. Yeah, maybe do it in the secret ways, but never to deny it and lie. Mm -hmm. So we would even distinguish between a lie and an untruth. Mm -hmm. Get this. I mean, you can't get more (laughs) word gamey than this. There's a difference between an untruth and a lie. Mm -hmm. And a lie is not okay, but an untruth is okay. You even see this in the way they try and talk out of things today. Right? This is why we would hear, well, the Adam-God theory is false. Yeah, not the Adam-God doctrine. Right. I'm not affirming theories. I'm affirming the doctrine taught by the church. Right. That's, you know, that's what we do. Yeah, and, and you know, they always try and make the, the people in the Bible so much better than they were. So Abraham, he didn't do the wrong thing by mm-hmm. saying that Sarai was his sister, right. telling him to say, mm-hmm. he, you know, he, it's actually half true. She was a half sister. And so he didn't actually do anything wrong. And you take away the whole impetus of the Bible, which is that we're all sinners before a holy God. Same thing with Peter. Uh, this was a common one I'd hear where it was, thou shalt deny me three times mm-hmm. and just ignore the grammar of Greek and just say in the English, that sounds like a command, doesn't it? It's because it was a command. He was actually commanded to deny him three times. Peter never, you know, denied him because Peter nope. wouldn't do that. He was a progressing human on his right. way to being a god. A, right. He's in fact, according to he's the god to Joseph Smith, maybe, maybe according to yeah. one system. And yeah, it, I remember uh, this is in Spencer Kimball's Peter, my brother. I remember we both loved that talk. Mm-hmm. Holland gave a watered down version, but of course he gets all the credit. It actually was Kimball. <laughs> And then Holland always gets credit for nothing that's actually his. And then, which always bugged me even in. But then we did find this weird technical Greek argument from someone we're going to get to. Um, now, you, and this, this, even at the time I liked this, at, at some point you do have these moments of clarity once you're into these deeper doctrines where you're like, okay, am I going crazy? I mean, you're so disconnected from yeah. even your LDS neighbors that you're like, wait, is this just... Skyler or <laughs> yeah is this just me and the three different groups that meet on you know Thursday night or whatever and right we really are off in la la land it's almost like this moment of almost clarity and then God gives us over to our delusions right you had an opportunity to talk to someone that oh yeah a lot of Christians will have no idea who Cleon Skousen is by the way maybe some unfortunately out there have read him because of Glenn Beck yeah, thinking Glenn Beck is you know a great conservative voice out there, um, but only his political writing, like the five thousand year leap, and they don't realize he's theology. He's he's fitting LDS theology into his book on the Constitution. One of his sons, um, whom we both met and had conversations with, you yeah. got you had an opportunity so, to talk to. Yeah, so his son uh, Eric Skousen, he wrote earth in the earth in the beginning yeah Yeah, there was supposed to kind of it was trying to take on evolution from an lds standpoint and use lds theology to explain creation creation organization really right which even there you're going to find it just riddled with mmp seeds Mm -hmm. In, in any case i go over to his house he's very old at this point and not well but I'm this kind of 18-year-old kid 
who's just got stars in his eyes. And I, it's one of those things where you don't realize what you're asking when you're a kid, right? You don't realize that you're asking something that if it were two adults talking, you know, one would like blush and be like, why are you asking me that? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he sits down. I was like, I love your dad's work. I love your work. And I have to ask something because, see, we had a friend in one of our groups who claimed to be taught by Cleon Skousen the Adam God doctrine, or rather the Michael God is what we preferred to call it to distinguish from the Adam God theory that was false, apparently. Uh, and so I, I just said, you know, he said that he was taught this. Is that true? Like, I believe it, but I'm just curious if your dad really taught it. And he said, yes. He said, yes. He said, yeah. In his know. published writings, he does not teach it. No. In fact, he, he argues around it. No, these are secret teachings. He said his dad only ever taught it out of his home with select people that he trusted. And and that's not even the craziest doctrine that he admitted to because that after that first visit, I was so ecstatic. And I went and told that guy who was in our group, very charismatic person. He's the kind that would still ask the questions that embarrass everyone, just didn't even <laughs> care register or care. He was a convert and he had... In fact, he had a um, Church of Christ minister as a dad, which is interesting given the, you know, right. Sidney Rigdon roots and all that. But he really had still, he, had, he was an evangelical for Mormonism. Yes. And, and so he's like, I want to meet him as well. So we plan a time and we head back over. And <laughs> I don't know how to put it other than this friend of ours just went off the rails and just started. He He had this habit of, just not being able to stop talking for hours. And so he's going and going and going. And then he's like, and your dad also taught me that Joseph Smith is the Holy ghost. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden he stops and we're all, we're just sitting there, him and his wife. Yeah. And he just says, I've, I haven't told that to anyone, not even my children other than my wife. And yeah. I don't yeah. know if he changed that before he died. So what's funny is you might be children of Eric Skousen out there being like, my dad didn't believe that. Well, he told me he did. Yeah. I don't know why he chose this 18 year old mm-hmm. kid to tell this to. Yes. Uh, but he did. Yeah. And this is, this is something too, that is just so telling about how the system can work. Skousen said would, so, according to the same milieu of sources that would so taught him this and would so was part of the generation that put the cat back in the bag in quotations. Mm-hmm. So if you look at published would so it's not there, but secretly he's teaching people like Cleod Skousen who will then teach people like his son and a few others. Right. And it's probably worth mentioning here that this wasn't like the one group where we heard this. No. Right. Like we had this one group that kind of, it was our flavor of MMP. It was our flavor of Michael God. It was Mm -hmm. our uh, flavor of, you know, the, I would, I will say the Joseph Smith is Holy Ghost was probably the most fringe. Yep. Uh, But the fact that it really was taught, honestly, this guy was so charismatic in our group. Sometimes I just couldn't help but think maybe he was lying. So the fact that it was corroborated by Cleon Skousen's own son just, <laughs> just still astounds me. It's amazing. And I've heard stories of Hugh Nibley also privately teaching it. What about this herb shop incident? Do you remember this? Oh, okay. So, I mean, this is a pretty short story. And, and I apologize if this is, it feels like it's uh, kind of all over the place. Part of it is 
that we just have these stories that we think give insight into Mormon culture. Yeah. At least the culture for many. Even if like the particulars of doctrine are different, you'll see a consistency that comes out over and over and over again. Uh, with a hyper skeptability of reason on the one hand and this hyper gullibility of experience on the other. Okay, so herb shop guy. This was a little herb shop on State Street. Still there. And there was this meeting that was going to be happening. I got a secret invite from someone in one of my other groups. And we get there, and he's talking about the new world order that's coming. And it's coming imminently. He says he speaks Russian. He speaks all these other languages. And he, he listens on a ham radio to all the parts of the world. And he even has these inside uh, agents in the mm-hmm in the one government that's coming. And I mean, we got a flow chart. I, I'm so mad. We don't have this. It's got to be somewhere. It's got to be my so mad. We don't somewhere. have it because right. I mean, it was saying that the U S dollar currency was going to fail by 2010. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the government was going to have failed by like 2014 mm-hmm. and really the new world order was going to be in place. It was like by latest, it was like 2016. Yeah. Latest. I mean, it was funny because it had like most likely how this will go and could go this way. And then like, if, you know, if things are really slow, it'll definitely happen by this time. And 2016 was that far edge of events. And, and people were planning their lives around this. Yes. I mean, people were going and buying food storage. Investing and, in whatever gold or, or yeah. the dream mine, which sorry, I shouldn't bring that up, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding you. It still exists. Since the it's we're over a hundred years now with this fake dream mind that people are getting scammed by, um, that supposedly Nephi showed some LDS bishop back in the nineteen twenties, and there's still a group of them. I'm telling you, this is this is Mormon culture. Um, one thing though on that, maybe I should have said this first: the conspiracy culture is what we oh. just dive, dove into. Yeah, explain that in your experience with it. Okay, so the key here is is once again, right? I mean, I think I started off our conversation this way, which is you have a core understanding of how things work, presuppositions, right? Mm -hmm. And then you are just going to shape things to fit that and pull them in. Well, the more and more you get into like secret teachings and why aren't things this way and why are things this way, then you're slowly just sort of finding yourself at odds with reality at every turn. Well, conspiracies become the backbone of understanding the world. I'm not saying there aren't conspiracies, but what I'm saying is they're not the norm. <laughs> and like yeah. I thought they were everywhere. It's like they were under my freaking bed. They were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you have this, I remember, I so <laughs> I thought people never landed on the moon. Okay, why? These are my reasons. You, what, science and reason and logic, historical evidence. events. Evidence. <clears throat> no, it's because Joseph Fielding Smith said we never landed on the moon. Or never would, right? Or never would. Never would land on the moon. Mm -hmm. And Brigham Young said there were Quakers on the moon. Well, if they went to the moon and they didn't find Quakers, they must not have ever really gone to the moon because they would have found Quakers. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking, oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I think it's funny just since, not to get into the politics of this, but, you know, a lot of people learned the name Alex Jones only in the last few years. And it's like, no, no, you don't get it. In high school, like I'm, we're talking 10th grade. I remember the first time getting invited over to a friend's house. 
you know who I'm talking about. He played drums and stuff. Yeah. His family. The first time it's like, oh, you got to come downstairs and watch this. It's like three and a half hour documentary <laughs> called End Game. It's Alex Jones. It's just like with that voice, you know, you're going to take over the world, you know. And you're just like, oh my gosh, everything's a lie. And you're like, your sense of reality is everything's a threat yep. unless they are close enough in your world. You, you know, there's like layers to it of trustworthy sources. Right. But man, you isolate yourself in, even in the midst of the LDS community. Right. And, and keep in mind, this becomes once again, Joseph Smith flavored yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. It's not like that you're just incorporating that other worldview and keeping it how it is. No, it shifts all of a sudden they're Gadianton robbers, mm-hmm. right? This is, comes from ether eight in the book of Mormon where essentially you have, they, they use this old 1830 phrasing, secret combination. No, oh, it's a huge term. Uh, it's something you'll hear all the time. Anytime people think there's some conspiracy going on, secret combination. And it was an old phrase that just meant like a conspiracy. And it, we basically thought that these people engaged in these conspiracies, they know Mormonism's true, but mm-hmm. they... They worship Satan, <laughs> yes. right? But they're evil, right? And let me t- even after I left the LDS church, uh, like I still have to deal with this sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was a recent uh, vote in Orem mm-hmm. to make the school its own district, and I thought this was a great idea because I really don't like the school district that we're currently in, and it's I think it's just going more and more towards critical race theory and all those other things. And I thought, well. Maybe if it's our own district, we'll have at least more control. That could go either way, but more control generally is better. Yeah, localize That's how I it. thought through it. Mm-hmm. So I, I voted yes for the change. Well, it turns out, apparently, that everyone that voted yes is actually part of a secret combination. <laughs> this is what I was told. I, I must be part of a secret combination for voting yes, and I'm trying to you know, secretly bring down... Uh, the children and uh, it's it's so weird being on the other side of it it is and and how to where's where's the limiting principle and all that i remember when i ran for city council similar thing happened i i made some comment that was just pretty honestly pretty basic benson h verlin anderson maybe a little more libertarian than that but i wasn't i wasn't one of these anarcho-capitalists i wasn't one of these people that like benson's the milk until you become an anarchist with murray rothbard or whatever because he's the only one who ever saw the truth into the world right (laughs) and uh and you know he wins by defining the state as evil therefore it's evil so you know he's really smart so it's just i make this cookie cutter comment right and what do i get i get this email that i'm part of the new world order (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's like I, I work at the grocery store down the street and I'm running for city council on my own money. But I'm part of the new world order because of this comment. It's like, oh man, let me, I'm, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell on you. I'll call Bill Clinton right now. I, the, the second coming stuff too. This is just incredible looking back on how many times we thought, oh, second coming is this year. Yeah. Based on some author that we read or visions of glory yeah, or Cohen was a big one for me. Yeah. Talk about this. So I, I'm trying to remember more details. You remember what the book was called? Oh. Just remember the author's last name was Cohen. Da- David Cohen. Yeah. And he claimed a special priesthood through his Jewish lineage. Right. Which as, that's as well LDS as the thing. fact that he was an LDS right. priesthood holder. Gave him extra power. Yeah, he was a super apostle. <laughs> Basically, because he had by his lineage a priesthood and extra power through the LDS system. Yeah, and he, and he had figured out a pre-Hebrew language 
that mm. was actually Adamic. Like it's the Adamic language. And using this and a bunch of other nonsense, he had determined that the second coming was going to happen sometime in September 2011. I think 22nd, 23rd. Yeah. And see, yeah. I went into the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, like a couple weeks before that. Well, maybe mm-hmm. like three weeks before that. And I remember I was so frustrated because I was like, I'm supposed to go on my LDS mission and this thing's going to happen while I'm in the MTC. I stayed up all night. Just to see. Because I was like, it's going to happen. I really was convinced. It's funny. I Most of our group kind of held it at bay. I, I think they just uh, don't like being held to firm numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they were all like, well, it could happen. So we'll go camping that night and we'll see if it happens. But I, I read the book and I was still a kid. And I was just like, it's it all makes sense. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was... I was Pretty depressed when it did. <laughs> yeah, I, I know people that got cabins just to see, you know, get front row seat to the second coming. Of course, it doesn't happen. And then, once again, you combine that with the conspiracies, and then you combine it with the kind of divinizing of the founders. I mean, you you really like Wilford Woodruff, right? Yeah. They, I, I did a little bit of a bonus episode um, recently that covered some of, the, some of that. Do you want to talk about that and how that kind of shapes even how you view the past? Like some Wilfred Woodruff's, you know, vision now can shape how you would view historical figures regardless of evidence as well. Yeah. So I, with Wilfred Woodruff, I was a fan of him because with his journal, I felt like I got a blueprint into how to receive revelation, which, you know, I'm trying more and more to get into the deeper, deeper doctrines. My goal is to see Christ in this life. Like I think if I'm just living enough of the commandments, if I'm just living good enough and I'm, you know, I'm getting access to more and more knowledge, eventually I'll be able to see God. He won't even be able to hide himself from me. Once again, God is really not all powerful in Mormonism. They, they'll say he is, but they don't mean it no. because there's so many ways in which they're like, well, God can't do that or he'd cease to be God. Uh, well, God can't do that because he's you know bound by whatever natural law principle. Right. In fact, you used to use an argument against even, I think, a coworker at one point. Right for the exit, you know, if he's an impossible, yeah, yeah. Do you want to mention? That? I, I basically said, if God can do impossible things, then he's an impossible God. So really, reason is what reigned in my that part of the system. In that part of the system, yeah. yeah. So God, when we say God is omnipotent, we're talking about within the framework of all things that are possible to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Not not all things that are possible. All things are possible to me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, well, it's like a little kid that's in their car chair, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm driving this car. They have no idea. Wow. Like, how is he operating this vehicle? We can travel all huge distances really quickly. That's that's godlike relative to the little kid. Right. So so there is no miracle that isn't explainable by natural laws. Mm-hmm. You know, if God if if Jesus heals a leper then that's because he convinced the intelligences within the matter of the person's body to go back to their normal way. And then they have control of whatever little bit of material that they're inhabiting. And it's a whole worldview based on this idea of intelligences and, and matter. And to get back to the Wilfred Woodruff point, though, it shaped it because he had a whole kind of blueprint for he had his own personal revelations in there that were framed exactly like you would see in DNC. And so that was very convincing to me. And he had multiple baptisms listed and washing of feet and 
and second anointings. Yeah. And he was clear about Brigham Young teaching who God is. So he just was very important to me for that reason. He also had that big dream where he supposedly had founding fathers come to him and tell him that they need to be baptized still because they're really into baptisms for the dead. Despite the fact there was evidence they'd already been baptized for the dead before that. But Wilford Woodruff apparently was baptized for the dead for them again, and it worked this time. Mm -hmm. But they told him our work hasn't been done. Yeah. (laughs) And so this would even influence like which founding fathers were good historically. So when when I'm looking at history like American U.S. history, I'm thinking, okay, when this person speaks, they're actually good. And this person I don't know, or maybe this person isn't. And so it it would affect the way I approached anything in my life. Yeah, think of like, we're like Thomas Jefferson. Is he a Christian? How would we engage in that debate? Well, we'd say, well, based on our, the actual Christianity, he denies the Trinity yeah. Right. He said, if the true religion of Jesus were to come about, be in the country I founded or something like that. And it's like, oh my goodness, that letter's from 1820, the same year as the first vision. And you're like, see, Jefferson was a real Christian. It's the fake Christians that couldn't tell. Right. So yeah. I hope they, they see that we have this rational side and then this supernatural side and how they connect. I remember thinking, oh, the French Revolution. Here's my evidence. Uh, Marie Antoinette appeared to Wilford Woodruff, so she must have been good. And conventional wisdom, which, once again, conventional wisdom may be wrong. Right. But what's the basis on which it's wrong? Is it Wilford Woodruff's St. George Temple dream? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like, that's where it was. Well, and then that doesn't even, like, touch how it affected, like, even, like, my health. Uh, so I have kind of a funny story. This was really popular, particularly amongst the women. Uh, which uh, the LDS women, which is you have sort of these energy healing things. It's really big in our family. Super big. Uh, But not even just, not just in our family though. It was amazing how many people we met that were really into this. Mm -hmm. And these energy healings have these different rituals you go through. And, and, but once again, they mix it with Mormonism. So they're going to pray a certain way, look for certain feelings and for their body to react certain ways to tell them muscle testing. Yeah. To tell them what's true and what's not. And once again, some of this worked, which just tells me it was probably demonic, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it didn't always work. There's this one time, this one lady, uh, family friend, she received, you know, I, I was having this really bad ear pain. And so she received an answer that I needed a certain oil or whatever. And she pours the oil right into my ear. <laughs> And the pain goes up tenfold. I, I haven't heard this story. Yeah, the pain goes up tenfold. I'm I'm dying. Like it brought me to my knees. I, and so they have to rush me to the Instacare. Does this get them to reassess their system? No. No. What did the doctor say? Do you remember? I I don't remember. Okay. I was in so much pain. It's like, what are you doing? Pouring this in? <laughs> what, what, I know. what did you pour in your ear? What did you pour in your kid's ear? Yeah, didn't you even have a matriarchal blessing? Yes. So that was really big. Uh, Well, that one's more like the Joseph Smith Holy Ghost. There were a few groups that had this, but not very many. And there was one lady in particular that really pushed it because she had a matriarchal priesthood. See, part of these ideas, they only catch on with the right charismatic person Mm -hmm. and just enough 
people catch on to it. Yeah, and then it spreads. And then it spreads. And you grows. know, people that know her learn, and then they kind of create their own circle. And yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. like a networking system. Yeah, and it was funny because matriarchal blessings were mainly only supposed to be for women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I was like, patriarchal blessings are for both. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why can't I have one? Yeah. And so they gave me one. I remember thinking, well, this was weird. <laughs> I didn't really no, like it. Yeah, Michael God wasn't weird, but yeah. yeah <laughs> Once again, you just pick and choose what you like, and right. it's a buffet table, and you just pick what you like, and that's what's true. And right, yeah. Uh, the secret was really big with our family. Well, for a while, anyway. I guess that's making its way into circles again. Have you heard of this manifesting stuff that's been really popular? This is popular. It's with, again, again. I, yeah, it's a wow. whole new thing called manifesting. You just have to think you have it, and then you have it. And yeah, a lot of people were into that. I remember you did a lot of work on the Book of Mormon more than I I did. I, I, I honestly, I got to this point and this is going to involve someone we're going to get to. I got to this point where I just realized I had, I couldn't defend the Book of Mormon. And I'm thinking theologically, I haven't even touched the historical stuff. There's plenty out there you get into. In fact, someone who would recognize me if I saw him, but I haven't talked to him since I've left, but Rod Meldrum. And it just sounds so convincing. And then you're like, oh, look at all these tales of white giants. And, you know, uh, in America, you're like, clearly there's evidence for the the Book of Mormon based on these weird tales. But I, I got to the point where I kept trying to make it fit with the deeper Mormon doctrines, and it just wasn't working. I remember approaching someone that we're going to mention in a minute. He basically was just like, no, you, when you get to a certain point of doctrine, you just have to put away kids stuff. That's, that's how he described it. And I just got to the point where it's like, it didn't bug me if the Book of Mormon contradicted it. I figured, well, Book of Mormon's for like first grade level people. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, they need the Book of Mormon, maybe for this life, maybe for the next life or something like that. Eventually, you're going to get to more Brigham level. And then eventually you're going to get to more, you know, whatever. Right. And when this is why Book of Mormon teaches hell, big deal. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Like you don't yeah. scrutinize the, the lesson that you teach a first grader the same way you, te- you scrutinize a college professor's uh, lesson material. Right. In that sense. Right? Unless it, it suits what you're going for, right? So I can write a <laughs> yeah. paper on MMP. I got an A in that class. But then, yeah, like you're like, hell, so what? Recently I had to do a response on whether LDS believe in hell. We were in all these different wards, all these different groups. Did you ever hear hell taught? No. Did you ever hear hell being believed in? Definitely not. Okay. I just, I want that on the record. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's too contradictory to the, one of the core ideas of Mormonism, which is that God is daddy in the sky. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry that that sounds demeaning, but it, Kind of, that's that is that the is belief, it. yeah. No, right. So what, what you have to do to understand God from the Mormon worldview is really understand the best possible dad, the best possible dad. That's God, and doesn't you know the best possible dad in, in their sinful mind, right? Mm-hmm. So this is what you're always going to hear when hell comes up. What loving dad would ever send their child to hell? Mm-hmm. You're not his child. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. You're a child of wrath. Yeah. Unless you're born again mm-hmm. and adopted into the family of God. Born again, properly understood, adopted, 
properly understood. Yeah. I remember even getting into Orson Pratt and thinking adoption meant there's a network of gods, and then you know, yeah. as you progress through lives, you're just adopted by the next god that takes place over whatever world you're in. Right. It's how Jesus. Yeah. So the adoption language with Romans and stuff. I remember thinking through it in terms of so when you get that next body, Jesus is the father of that body. Yeah. Uh, so you're adopted into his family, and that's how you're going to move up. And he'll be the next heavenly father. Yeah. And Joseph Smith will be the next Jesus. And I thought Heber C. Kimball will be the next Holy Ghost. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we liked Heber C. Kimball, right? And that's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so hard to read him now. Because like he is, wow. A monster? A monster. But he was so, like I, th- I thought Heber C. Kimball might even be more, in fact, I've heard from one, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard from someone that he taught Brigham, Michael God. But I don't, like I said, I haven't verified that. So, but you, you stayed with the Book of Mormon a lot longer than I did. And you would find just the, what I thought at the time were the coolest connections. So two that come to mind would be like um, how, you, how you understood faith in Alma 32, for example. Do you want to try to explain that to the listener? Maybe contrast that um, however you see fit. Yeah. So first of all, there's kind of going to be a funny thing here, which is there is an English acronym in this passage, an English acronym in a text that's supposedly Egyptian, reformed Egyptian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's among ancient white native Americans. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. just makes no sense. I don't right. know where he pulled it from or if he even realized he was pulling and like he's plagiarizing an acronym. Yeah. This was what he did. So in Alma 32, starting around like verse 25 or six, He introduces faith with the analogy of a seed. And I'm going to forget the four words that go with the acronym seed. S uh, is the one I can't remember. But then it enlarges your heart, and then it enlightens your mind, and then it's delicious. And so the way that it works is that faith becomes this sort of mystical scientific experiment. Uh, where it's this power that is very weak at first and you just sort of have to exercise even just like a desire. You have to just kind of want it. And this is still prominent in, in the MTC. There were so many kids who didn't really believe, but they were told fake it till you make it. Basically they're like, you're going to gain your testimony by telling people you have a testimony. And I do think it, some of that hails from this, this idea that you just have to even just want to believe start there. And then what you're going to do is as you exercise this faith, it's like a muscle, you're going, it's, you're going to notice it's getting bigger. Well, wouldn't you think you, all of a sudden you're going to like be able to do it more and suddenly you're, you're, you believe it more and then it's going to enlighten your mind. Suddenly you're going to start seeing the world in a different way. And then by the end, it's delicious to you. And now it says when you reach that point, you no longer need faith because you now know it's true. And this is huge within Mormonism. You don't say, I believe. No. Uh, the I apostles will say, I testify. That's like their, mm-hmm. it's like their superpower phrase. Mm-hmm. I testify, right? Yep, yep. But for everyone else, in every fast and testimony meeting, every month, I know. Yep. Right? I know this. I know that. I know this. And if you were to ask him, how do you know? It's experience. Every time this experience rooted in this faith experiment, which is kind of like a, a power. So this, and this is why you always see that, right? It's, and Skylar's mentioned this on the podcast. It's not about Christ himself and who he is. He is your in to the power of God. 
So you're trying to get access to his power. And you do this with faith. So when, you know, the apostles say increase our faith, and Jesus is like, that's not what you need. <laughs> when, he, when he says you have this faith the sign of a grain of a mustard seed and you can move, you know, this mountain, his point is that it's the object of the faith that is strong. Now, Mormons will take that and be like, yeah, like, see how hard faith is to grow? Like, even mm-hmm. if it's just the seed of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain just with power. Right. Like Arbitrarily, just because like you want yeah, it. I need more. Yeah, you just need to, you really do just need to increase your faith. Mm-hmm. And, and faith in this sense isn't just belief. Faith is this hybrid experiment where you're slowly knowing through experience over time. And so it, it's just funny because I mean, it really covers it. It's, once again, I think the more you get into the deeper doctrines, people start saying, well, that's the kid stuff. That's true, but this, that's why even those who don't go into the deeper doctrines within the LDS Church, they still find plenty right here mm-hmm. to justify what they do believe and how yeah. they go about it. Absolutely. How to see God? This is a tough one to talk about. What What do you feel comfortable sharing here? How to see God and personal revelation? So you have this formula for how you grow this faith model, which it gets intricately tied in with doctrine and covenants where it says you are saved in as much as you gain knowledge or have knowledge. So That's a those good two. question. I, I bet we could find both somewhere. Yeah. And, and so in this sense, right, the key to your progress is entirely in your hands. God wants to give it to you. You just have to do A, B, C, D, etc. And so you want to see God? Well, good. Um, and this is how you do it. Let me, you know, let's, let's just give you the instruction manual. In fact, if you do enough, um, he can't not show himself to you. Yep. Uh, this goes back to DNC 88? It might be 88, 84, 88. I think 88. Where it says, uh, as much as you do what I say, I am bound. Oh, 82. Okay, that's the one I have yeah. in mind. Mm-hmm. One where he says, if you do what I say, I am bound. And then as an example of this, you have in, I want to say, Ether, the brother who mm. sees the finger of the Lord, but then he believes so powerfully. His faith yep. is so strong that God has to reveal himself. That's how it puts yep. it. God didn't have a choice. He, he was mm-hmm. forced to because of the faith. That's Yep, that's true. I haven't thought about that in a while. So, I mean, it was this huge thing. And so I... I it's funny. I used to have this website, and it's gone now, and I'm so glad. And I I kept uh, virtual like document versions of the posts, but it's called claimtotruth.com. Yeah, I remember that. Why? Because we can claim it. Mm-hmm. It's ours. Like, the pride and the arrogance is honestly astounding within Mormonism, and the sense of what you are owed based on the little good you think you're doing. Yeah, right? which you like, imagine is so important. And, that, and that's the thing. Yeah. This is one of those few places where people will tell you unironically that they believe they're following the law, that they are actually doing it. They love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor is their self. Yeah. I remember thinking, you know, occasionally I would go, oh, I think I went a week without sinning. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, right. And you just try <laughs> exactly. to build on that and just think, oh yeah, maybe next time I can go a month and then I can go, you know? Yeah. You just, you just got to slowly climb, climb that mountain. Yeah. And how honestly on where <laughs> to an LDS, they, they would still probably look at those points of time as the, the most righteous moments of my life. And I look at these times of even supposed righteousness, going to the temple every week, and I think of it as seriously a low point because of where my trust was. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and so I, I was seeking these revelations. You know, I'd had yep. that experience with Michael God, and I wasn't done there. I, was, I wanted more, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was greedy for more of the supernatural experience that I'd gotten a taste of. And so I was doing everything I, can, I could think of that's why Wilfred Woodruff was so helpful is he had these kind of more detailed explanations of what they did to have experiences. And so eventually I had a dream of the Mormon Jesus. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, it was the, <laughs> the white blue eyed Jesus with brown hair and a really friendly smile. And he gave me a big hug and it felt so peaceful and warm and wonderful. And there's a big field of green and, Satan can come to you as an angel of light. And he, and he did. You know, and this is why it's such an important thing, even for people coming out of the LDS church to, to teach. It's like, test the spirits. Test them. Mm-hmm. Please. And, and <laughs> what do you test them by? The word right. of God. Right, instead of what you're comfortable with. Right. Because, I mean, it becomes a spiritual contest, right? I... I um. I want to, of course, make this more about you, though our, our journeys are parallel. I, I likewise um, thought I saw Jesus in a dream uh, in a similar description. Mine was the blue, but almost a little bit of green, um, where I thought I got assignments and tasks given to me. And... Um, yeah, and it, honestly, you read Joseph Smith, this is what he wanted. There's a reason why that Denver Snuffer book still has so much pull. But I remember by the time I heard of that book, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> duh. I guess it just, yeah. you, know, you, know, you just think, well, yeah, have you, have you read Joseph Smith? Like, look at the whole freaking temple experience. The whole point is to converse with God through the veil, to know the secret keys, to put in the password so that they can't hold you back. You get past the whatever's in your way to become... Not only, to, to be with God, you have to be like God. That's maybe one of the principles that's the least stated but most assumed by people who are in this. To be with him, you have to be like him. You can't just be, you know, right. he's, in he's, some way. Uh, yeah, this is where we'll take things just randomly super literal. And it's so arbitrary sometimes when I look back. I'm like, why did I choose to make that literally? Maybe everlasting burnings. Yeah. That eventually you, your planet is actually like the sun. So that's another place where we thought angels I, were. Yeah, I certain beings lived yep. was on the sun, and that Kolob was probably a, a star. Uh, well, it says it's a. Well, it says it's the planet nearest. I think it's the star yeah, that the planet that Heavenly Father lives on is going around. So it's like the sun of the. If I'm not mistaken, that's how yeah. I remember it. But the idea is that, like, hyper literally, right? It's actually just so hot there. It's like literally on fire all the time, and so your body uh, has to be 
powerful enough to endure that, which only comes from living God's law and, and acquiring these new stronger bodies. Yeah. And once you have these experiences, you almost know with a capital K, right? All of a sudden you're starting to distinguish within layers of knowing, right? Of course, never believe. <laughs> Just once you see Jesus, then I know him. Right. Yeah, what's funny is when I came back from my LDS mission really dismayed, uh, that's when I started using believe because I, I started having these doubts where I was like, I don't really know. I'm, I'm using this word, but if I used this word in any objective category, <laughs> yeah. like I wouldn't use it. It doesn't make any sense. Like I don't actually know. Uh, I thought, you know, dreams, even dreams, they're just not visceral enough. Like I have to see him, like I have to have vision awake and then I'll know. So I actually stopped using the word no when I came back from it's funny. I came back from LDS mission early, not like out of the Mormon faith. Oh no, I doubled down, but I just had lots of questions and doubts that I was trying to figure out and make work. Just try and recalibrate. Yeah. Recalibrate. Did you want to tell any more missions before we move on about your, or sorry, tell any more stories about your mission? How are we doing time wise? I don't even know. We're good. we got maybe 30 minutes. Okay. okay. Well then I, this is one that I, I like to tell uh, because it was one of the harder experiences, not the hardest experience in my life up to that point. It, it made me mature a lot faster than I think a lot of 19 year olds might. <laughs> yeah. So my, that same companion, we just argued all the time for reasons like the one I didn't like that he lied about the polygamy, but also, you know, I would receive impressions that we should go hike up a certain mountain where there was a village. Uh, and I thought, you know, we should go preach to them, we'll leave the 99 and go to the one. Right. And he was very logistical. He's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, if we want more baptisms, there's more people here. So we just need to hand out cards to as many people as possible. And the ones interested will come to us. So he was thinking very logistically and I'm trying to, he's like messing with my spiritual feng shui. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> you know? Internal, like your, your butt. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just like, we're arguing constantly. It also didn't help that uh, Spanish was his first language. English was his second. English is my first language and I barely know Spanish. And so I, I do think there were communication barriers as well but we were just yelling at each other all the time and I was miserable and I started getting really sick. Uh, in fact, I guess a little bit of, of confession here. I was so miserable. I convinced myself I could try and get myself home by just drinking the tap water because hmm. it's known to just have lots of, um, well, frankly, it could have killed me, right? It's so stupid. What a stupid kid thing to do. But I started secretly drinking um, like from the faucet, it was something you should never do in Mexico city. <laughs> never. Uh, I was used, I was just drinking it. Um, every time I went to the bathroom, I'd take a cupful and drink it in the hopes that it would get me sent home. Mm. And, uh, so that was miserable and I got really sick. I did. I, I got sick. But what's funny is that the, the doctors they have are, they're joke. They're a joke. Uh, there, there, there's so many stories about this, the malpractice that goes on with doctors, with, uh, kids on their missions, not sending them home when they should be. And the thing is, is like, I knew I was probably had something wrong with me, but I couldn't say it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the doctor gives me this, like, 
the doctors here on a regular checkup do more. He's just, oh, you're fine. Like, I'm throwing up every day. I don't think I'm fine. <laughs> but, you know, uh, so that's how the doctor visit went. And it became more and more regular that I was just in the bathroom vomiting and, and everything else. And my companion just was mad because we were missing appointments. So at one point when we were walking and I started vomiting in the, on the sidewalk, he just left me in the middle of Mexico City. I didn't know where I was. And so I just stayed there for a few hours and eventually he came back thankfully and uh, brought, you know, we went back home and then the next time I couldn't get out of the, I was like, well, if I'm feeling this way, I'm not leaving the bathroom because at least I know where I am. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he would just leave me home and take another, cause you're not ever really supposed to be alone, but this, you know, he didn't really care. He just wanted to get his baptisms. Right. And so he would either go by himself or he would trade companions with a, another set of companions that lived with us. And eventually I thought I'd received revelation that I needed to go home. Isn't that interesting? Well, Joseph Smith style still, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just find the revelation you, you need for the moment. Right. Right. So still in the spirit of him. Yeah. So I, I go into my mission president and he has me, you know, he's not really buying that. I've had a revelation. I need to go home. And so he has me, there's a certain order that they do this for you to leave, make you talk to your family They make you talk to your stake president. And then he kind of has his final talk with you. And all of them are trying to convince you to, to stay. And so I talked with my family, you were there. And and honestly, you guys were really kind about it. Uh, I know you, you are hardening yourself about that. That's one of my five top regrets in my life. That call was the kindest of the calls. (laughs) Wow. Well, so I look back with shame on it, trying to encourage you. I, I feel like maybe that was, you know, where sometimes parents live through their kids in sports. You know, I was, I had been sent home early and knew how hard it was. And so I kind of was encouraging you to the best of my ability. And and now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, (laughs) you know, but I'm glad to hear it was at least nice. Yeah. Well, I just felt like, you know, you, you all wanted, you were like, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to stay out there a little longer? You know, we'll love you no matter what. Oh yeah. I definitely love totally stake president just yelled at me, said I was a loser. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. a loser. Not mm-hmm. just for like whether you come home or not now, like you're a loser for wanting to. For wanting to. Yep. And uh, so got berated by him for a while. And then when all was said and done, the, keep in mind the mission president kind of watched my facial, facial expressions as I'm defending that I believe I'm supposed to, that I've had a revelation I'm supposed to go home. I think he finally realizes, oh, this kid is in earnest. He really does think he's had a revelation. And so he tells him, you know, do you believe that I have priesthood over you? Yeah. When you're, you know, speaking as the priesthood older over me, he's like, okay, when's that? You know, it's funny because it's only a Mormon really knows the Mormon word games, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, almost anything he could have said, I could have just been like, well, that's just you. That's not really you acting in your priesthood role. And I was like, well, you know, when you say thus saith the Lord, so he proceeds to, the best way I can describe it is voodoo curse me <laughs> with thus saith the Lord. Uh, yeah. Thus saith the Lord, if you go home on your mission early, you'll never be married. Thus saith the Lord, if you go home early, you'll never be happy. 
Thus saith the Lord, if you go home early, you'll leave the LDS church. Oh, that's right. There's one. <laughs> well, yeah, I was um, right about that one. Okay. It's one out of three. <laughs> He's got one out of three, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This one was weird. He said, thus saith the Lord, even if you do get married, you'll get divorced. Wow. Uh, like just all these weird, like it was like, I don't remember. Pressuring, yeah. How many, but finally I was like, fine, I'll stay. Like I was so flustered because he'd, he really had pinned me. Right, it was like, well, there is this priesthood structure. He does claim to be receiving revelation. He's saying, "Thus saith the Lord." Like, how much clearer can you get? You know. And, yeah. Uh, so I'm in the elevator with that companion, and you know, God bless this kid that I'd yelled at constantly for the last two months. He's just like, "What happened?" And I, I explained it to him. He goes, "Well, maybe I'm of the devil." He's like, "But if you felt like you need to go home, maybe you're supposed to go home." <laughs> That's simple. That's, that's all it was. And, and, and I was like, well, he said, I was supposed to, he's like, where's your faith? Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It was so weird. I, and wow. That is uh, what the priesthood structure of the church <laughs> or your personal revelation right there. Right. You can see how within an LDS context, there's this crisis of personal, but I still think ultimately self-idolatry oh, yeah, always wins out in the end. Yeah. No, if, that's why. It's like, well, I, I believe in 15 prophets, seers, and revelators, and we're more likely to quote them than they are. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, it was only took a day or two later, and I, I called him, called the mission president back up, and was like, you said that if I asked to go home again, you, you would just, like, send me straight home. Okay, so send me straight home. And he did, to his credit, although he kind of abandoned me in the airport where I didn't speak Spanish very well, and apparently I needed money to be able to board my luggage, and I did, wasn't given any money. So I, I literally just left my luggage. Turned out, to, I guess it caused a bomb crisis in the Mexico City airport. <laughs> uh, I didn't learn about that till later. But I was like, I am not staying here. Like, yeah. I, I don't need my luggage then. And I, so I boarded that plane. I just left my luggage at the airport. Wow. <laughs> and uh, didn't get it for a couple months. I think when I got home, my mom was, our mom, well, yeah. sorry. No, our no, mom was good. furious. I remember she spent some long conversations talking with that mission president after that. That's interesting. Yeah, and so she had to deal with that for both of us. Probably our sister Abigail is the only one that she had the normal LDS mom. Yeah. The, Though I don't think she was, was she LDS at the time. <laughs> trying to think of what Abby's mission was. Maybe she didn't have the normal LDS mom experience. You, um, So you do get married, for those who don't know. Yeah, and two. sealed in the LDS temple. Wow. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, I still believed it all. I just had this question of like, something's wrong with authority. Right. Um, because I was supposed to come home. I got married and I was like, it was the best thing ever. So clearly I was supposed to come home. So he was wrong, even though he said, thus say thus the Lord. the Lord. So this follow the brethren um, issue oh. is, is there. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to talk about nice that? Nice cue. Okay. So I was working for uh, my father-in-law. And part of the work we did was basically set up the Wi-Fi in all these LDS churches throughout Utah. And so we get access to a lot of rooms that you don't normally get access to, like clerk rooms and things like that. And I noticed this pattern. There's this diagram that is everywhere. And it's like a really creepy diagram. And I took a picture of it at the time, but I think it was this old crappy cell phone where the pictures didn't get uploaded to like a cloud or something. And I'm pretty sure it's gone, which is really sad. I've tried looking it up. I'm like this, you know, they mass produced this. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah. But I wonder if it was like internal only or something. Cause I've, I've never seen it 
on like curriculum material. This was just randomly in all the staff rooms. But what it was is you had like a, what looked like a wheel. And on the, the outer circle of the wheel is uh, Jesus Christ, right? And you might think, oh, that's, you know, that's great. Like Jesus encompasses, you know, all of this. And then you had all the spokes and they were different virtues. You have charity and love. And of course, those are separate uh, virtues and in, in the LDS system and you've got truth and you've got uh, righteousness or, or whatever, right? You've got all these virtues. They're the spokes. And what's the center of the wheel? Follow the brethren. <laughs> Follow the brethren. Yeah. Which uh, ones? But yeah, <laughs> which the 15 who are all, alive. All, every time. all 50. Yeah. Those 15. Yeah. And so I, I remember it really, got under my skin. I mean, I was already dealing with like authority issues within the church. And then I'm like, what is that? <laughs> that that's an amazing. Especially even the timing of that, mm-hmm. having issues with priesthood authority, dealing with things like Michael God, where you're forced to choose between eras of Mormonism. Yeah. Um, and yet you're still sealed in the temple in it. Oh Yeah. Going to the temple as often as I could because I believed it was one of the few places you could freely talk about deeper doctrine and one of the few places where you could potentially receive deeper doctrine. Right. And I, I think, me too, you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I um, how, how common, I don't actually know the answer to this, how common was active temple attendance among those you knew or, or <laughs> I don't, I didn't get the sense of, most went very often. No, no, but I, I was think so. You have the, yeah. you had the like, but this is one of those overlaps amongst groups because you had like the very into it, I would say LDS. Yeah. By LDS, I mean like the really into official teachings yeah. only. Currently. Yeah. Current yeah. official None teachings. of this Mormon stuff that would all, none of the no. old Mormon stuff that would be no. like anti Mormon. And, but they, you know, there's these, but they're really zealous for their current LDS stuff and they mm-hmm. were really into temple attendance. And so I found right. myself going with them a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, if they only knew what you believed. Right? I know, I know. <laughs> but that's, that's just one part of the Mormon system that's just so incredible. You know, I, I wish more people could see that. <laughs>